Okay, well, we're back and we're going to open to Psalm 116. And at the same time, uh, last week I took you through the Mark, or excuse me, the Matthew section when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And I showed you some pictures. I showed you a picture of uh, what they think is Caiaphas' house and the steps beside it. And I showed you a picture of the upper room. Upper room first, a map showing how you would get to the Mount of Olives, and then pictures of uh, the steps that the Lord would take. Just trying to give you a picture of uh, what they would be doing. And uh, yeah, so uh, there's the high priest's house here. And uh, uh, over there would be the Garden of Gethsemane. And here's the high priest's house. And... Uh, upper room, traditional location. And in and through here are a whole bunch of pay or, uh, cobblestone steps. And uh, I showed you those last week, or the, the folks did. And uh, uh, those are the real steps that Jesus' feet actually would have touched down on. And uh, what a blessing that is. And so what I'm bringing you back to is the time when Jesus was instituting the Lord's Supper and uh, in and around the Passover, as he celebrated the Passover with his disciples. And I'm in Mark 14, verse 22, if you want to follow along. If not, just listen. And it says this, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed, and broke it. And he gave it to them and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And then this verse. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And uh, you saw which way they were going there towards Gethsemane. And what they would have been singing are the Hallel Psalms which is Psalm 115 to Psalm 118. So we're in 116, and we're going to... Actually, it's probably a little farther back than that, but whatever. We're going to read 116 today and 117. Even I might be able to get through 117, the shortest chapter in the Bible, I think. And then 118, that's what we're going to do today. But think about it. I mean, I know we talked about this last week, but these are the songs that our Lord sang with his disciples as he's marching to the cross, marching to Gethsemane to pray in the garden, and then the trials and uh, all the things that we know as we enter into the season. These are the songs that they would be singing, the traditional songs. So how amazing. And so when we turn... Uh, to Psalm 116, we see this. Uh, I better not read that. It's Psalm 112. Psalm 116. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my supplication, because He has inclined His ear to me. Therefore, I will call upon Him as long as I live. The pains of death surrounded me, and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, 
deliver my soul. Now, let me just remind you where we are in the Bible. We're in the Old Testament. We're not in the New Testament. We're reading from the Psalms, as you know. And you see here a song that Jesus would have been singing on the night of his death or the night before his death. So you have a psalmist who is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of the things that the Holy Spirit gives him. And it appears that for him, whoever the psalmist is, maybe David, probably David, there's something in which he was in the grip of death. Was he had a malady? Was there a sickness? Was somebody chasing him? Yes. Uh, but something was... Uh, bringing David to the point where he would say, the pains of death surrounded me and the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. Now what's Sheol, the realm of the dead? And the pains of death are referred to, folks, in the second chapter of Acts. That same account or that same phrase is used in this way. Here we have Peter giving his sermon, the famous sermon in Acts chapter 2. He's speaking to these men of Israel. And he asked them in 22 to hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst. This is Acts 2, 22. As you yourselves also know. Verse 23, he, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. Staggering verse, by the way. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, listen, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Peter, a fisherman, he knew his scriptures. And here he, he's quoting from Psalm 116, a psalmist's psalm, maybe David. And he refers to that. And so we know that it has an immediate meaning, but it also has a far meaning. That this is going to be a psalm that speaks of the glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Although the pains of death surrounded him, David and Jesus... He was loosed from the pains of death in Acts 20, or 2, 24. So beautiful stuff. And it goes on, I think I read this, I called upon the name of the Lord, O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. So let's go back just a little bit. I love the Lord. You would say, I think, I love the Lord. You yourself would say it. And there's something beautiful when we say, I love the Lord, period. I just love the Lord for who He is, for His attributes, for His character. I don't, I don't love Him because He gives stuff to me. I love Him. And that's a beautiful thought. And I often preach on it and talk about the Levites. The Lord was their portion, so they didn't get an inheritance of land. But the Lord was their, uh, their portion. They didn't get anything else. They didn't get the gifts. And that's a beautiful thing, but it seems to be saying here, yeah, that's awesome and fantastic that you 
can love the Lord just for who He is, but there's a, a million things that each one of us could say because and finish the sentence. Like, I challenge you in your journal this week, in your prayer journal, wouldn't it be amazing if you wrote down day by day, I love the Lord because, what would be the first thing you'd say? Maybe it'd be you'd say, I love the Lord because for some reason, I don't know, He knocked on my heart. He chose me and I responded to that call. And why, Lord? Why me? But thank you, Lord, because you chose me. And I responded to that call. And you've given me salvation. And even as we sit here and talk about it, what happens to your heart? It begins to, I think, soar in the heavens. And you could keep going on and on. I, I, I love you, Lord, because you sent your son Jesus. And because of the blood applied, I've been saved, and yet... Lord, you count me justified, just as if I never sinned. Almost too amazing to behold or to understand, and yet it's true. And furthermore, not only am I justified, but you put spiritual righteousness, so to speak, your righteousness into my bank account or my spiritual bank account. So that not only is it just as if I never sinned, but He sees us as righteous in Christ. And there's this beautiful thing that you're doing, Lord. You're not only, you not only have saved me, but you have been working on me to bring me from glory to glory. And that for you and I and we, as we travel this road walking with you, Lord, by the person and work of the Holy Spirit, you begin to produce fruit in my life. Fruit that I could never produce. Maybe I could try and try to manufacture it, but it wouldn't be real lasting fruit. And Lord, you're doing it. And you give peace when I need it. And vision and strength and comfort and discernment and wisdom that I couldn't have anywhere else. And love and acceptance and identity as I abide in Christ. I mean, because, 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 and it never stops. Are you at the place where you just say, yes, one, I just love the Lord. Why? Because he first loved me. And then are you at the place where you could say, I love the Lord because, and you can talk about intellectually, not just emotionally. Yeah, emotionally is great, but you can, by the word, Understand the things that the Lord has done for you and for me by His Son through the Spirit, and you could praise Him for it. And it actually brings you, I want you to see this, as you study these things and know these things, it doesn't, it's not just cold, generic facts that are up there. It leads to this relationship with the Lord, and it's a love relationship. You love Him because He first loved you. And you know it. It's not just emotional uh, fervor for no reason. You understand the things of the Lord because it's what the Bible tells you. And you praise Him for it. I love the Lord. Why? Because He has heard. That's what this psalmist said. Apparently, his life was in danger or he was sick or somebody was chasing him or whatever. And he has heard. Do you ever had people who don't listen to you? 
Don't answer that, Jan. No, but have you ever had anybody who doesn't listen to you? What a bummer that is. You ever had somebody, when you walk away from them, you walk away from them, you feel heard? You ever had that phrase? I felt heard. And how important that is to you and how special that makes you feel. And maybe even the thing doesn't get resolved when you talk to that person, but you have known that they heard you and listened which meant they cared for you and they cared for the things that you cared for, right? Everybody with me? And here it says, I love the Lord because He has heard. Your Lord listens to you. You're not just whistling in the wind when you approach God through the blood of Christ. You're not just saying things out into the universe. You're actually talking to the God of the universe and He pays attention and he listens, and he hears. That's incredible. So I love the Lord because he's heard. He's heard what? My voice and my supplications. I've asked for supply. I need supply, Lord. And I'm telling you that I'm scared and worried about this thing that's got me surrounded, and I need help. And you heard me, and that made me feel amazing, Lord, and I appreciate it. That's what he's saying right here. Therefore, I will call upon him as long as I live. Now, in this psalm, there's a several I wills. Things because of the love of the Lord, you're directed to do or steered in that way. And here's one of them. The more you call upon the Lord and you begin to understand the Word and what's happened to you when you've found yourself in Christ, the more you call upon the Lord and the more you realize He actually hears you, watch this, the more you call upon the Lord. <laughs> and we just had it this week on Sunday night prayer. We had somebody in our group ask for... Um, uh, literally, I think it was maybe the last prayer of the night or close to uh, the last prayer of the night, we had somebody ask that they would um, have influence at their work and ask for special prayer. And we, we prayed about that. And, and really, the next morning, 9 a.m., 10 a.m., that person texted us all and said that somebody had come who would never have previously had come and asked for prayer and asked, uh, confessed something to them. And Ask for prayer. And we were like, whoa, amazing. A couple weeks ago in that same prayer meeting, we were praying and a couple of us came out of the prayer meeting and sort of looked at, it, at each other and almost, but not exactly, almost at the same time said, wow, why haven't we done anything for East Palestine or Steen? Why haven't we ministered there? Why don't, why don't we just find out if we could just do something, anything, little? And... Uh, Next week, those people were off and running with water and blessing the people, and they're going to go back, and they've made contacts over there. And it's just amazing because the Lord answers prayer. And look at it. He's inclined his ear to me. That's the picture of a dad or a mom leaning down to the baby or the kid so they can speak in the ear with tenderness and touch and concern. That's what the picture is here. And when I am in that sort of relationship with the one who cares, 
I'm inclined to call upon him more and more and more because I see who he is. And it leads me to say, or to, for, for this psalmist to say, and for us too, as long as we live, let's call upon him. And again, it's a messianic psalm because it's talking about the pains of death that were surrounding David. But can you imagine coming out of the upper room and starting to sing the songs and the Lord Jesus to whatever tune it is sings, the pains of death surround me. And the pangs of Sheol laid hold of me. The realm of the dead, the grip of death seems aggressive towards my life. And I find trouble and sorrow. What then? He gets over to the Garden of Gethsemane, and what does he do? He calls upon the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord. I call upon the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. By the way, what a really long prayer. O oh Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Three seconds. Boom. Lord, you go straight to the Lord by the blood. I implore you with heartfelt compassion or passion for, for whatever it is you're praying about. You feel it deeply. And then you state directly, right to the Lord, deliver my soul. A real short petition by the blood. It doesn't have to be fancy. You don't have to put on your King James Version only voice. You can just pray by the blood. Isn't that wonderful? And he did it while he was walking. I find that interesting. But I want us to see something. I called upon the name of the Lord. There's no formula here in praying, folks. Lord, I really need that bonus. I want more than the other people in my group, Lord, in Jesus' name. Okay, I said in Jesus' name, I'm going to get it. And that's how we think of it sometimes. But as we know, as we've been studying, the name of the Lord means we're praying according to his character, nature, and will. Psalm 20, verse 7 says, Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we're going to boast in the name of Jehovah, our God, or we will boast in the name of Jehovah. And another verse, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteousness runs to it or into it, and is safe. The name of the Lord. It's a safe place, the character of God. It's a place where, um, you know, that's more powerful than chariots and horses. And what are some of the names of the Lord? It's amazing if you study the Bible how many names there are. Let me just give you a few. Elohim, the plural of mighty. Elion, God most high. Adonai, Lord, Master, Owner. El Roy, God who sees. Don't you love to be seen and heard? Well, he's the one who sees. And El Shaddai, God Almighty. And Jehovah Yahweh, I am that I am. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will see and provide. Rapha, Jehovah, Jehovah Rapha, he's our healer. Jehovah Nisi, our banner. He's the Lord who sanctifies. I can't say the word. That's why I'm telling you the English. Shalom, he's our peace. He's the Lord of hosts, Jehovah Roy. The Lord is my shepherd. He's our help. And the Lord is there. And we could go on and on and on. These are just a few and on. He is our all 
in all? Why don't we run to him more? And as this one, David in the near term, Jesus in the far term or far fulfillment, continues on. He says, gracious is the Lord and righteous. He has discovered now the grace of God. And when somebody discovers the grace of God, it sort of, not sort of, it lifts us up out of our circumstances. Remembering that he did all so that we could come back to him. That's grace. So that we could be reconciled to the Father. That's grace. He did it all. You just receive. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. The simple. Here's what Poole, one commentator, said about the simple. The simple, the sincere, the plain-hearted person who dare not use those frauds and crafty and wicked artifices in saving themselves or destroying their enemies. But the simple wait upon God with honest hearts in their way and for their time of deliverance. Did you catch that? Such person he calls simple or foolish, as this word is commonly rendered, not because they're really foolish or simple, but because the world thinks they are. Wow. Here's another one by James Montgomery Boyce from Pittsburgh, Brad wants me to tell you. Served in Philly, though. Not only is God gracious, he's also gracious to the little people, to the plain, to the commoners, to the everyday person who's on the bus who, or who's in the shop, to people like the psalmist. That is one of the great glories of our God. When Jesus called his disciples, he called fishermen and tax collectors. When the, when the angels announced the birth of Jesus, they appeared to shepherds. Simple. The Lord takes note of the simple. He preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Can you imagine Jesus saying that on the way to the garden? Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. One commentator says this, O learn this holy art, acquaint yourself with God, acquiesce in him and be at peace. So shall good be done unto thee. Spurgeon said, whenever a child of God, even for a moment, loses his peace of mind. You ever had that happen to you? He or she should be concerned to find it again. Not by seeking it in the world or in his own experience. What? Listen, listen. But in the Lord alone. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death. This is what he was singing as he's walking. My eyes from tears. And then he says something that's really amazing. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. In other words, whoever's writing this, David or the psalmist, he's saying, I'm not dying. Or I'm not going to stay dead. If you live obediently, 
to God, and, and, and then you'll live obediently to God among the people. You get that? And it's prophetic in a way when sung by the Lord because he would uh, walk among the living again. Can you imagine I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living? I believe, therefore I spoke. These are such faith-filled verses, folks. These are such faith-filled verses. And by the way, this was quoted by Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 13 and 14. It's saying something like this. Trust God and speak from the experience of your trust. Did you catch that? Trust God. Keep trusting God. I believed. Therefore, I spoke and speak from the experience of that trust. And speak what you believe. If people ask you out in the marketplaces, out in the workplaces, out in the extracurricular activities, the Lord is saying and encouraging us to speak what we believe. Because how could we otherwise? And so I always tell you, and I think even Sarah used this the other day. If somebody asks you something spiritual in the workplace, say this to them. Do you really want to know? And if they say yes, that's on them. Give it to them. You're there being an amazing worker. You're going to be the best worker. You're going to worship with your work. And you're going to work hard and do great work at your workplaces. But if somebody asks the reason that you have hope, say, do you want to know? And speak what you believe. How else could you? It's coming, it's bubbling out of those who abide in Christ. I believe, therefore I spoke. He actually says, I'm greatly afflicted. I said in my haste, all men are liars. Here, David, probably referring to how he spoke when he didn't speak out of belief. I'm greatly afflicted. There's nothing wrong with saying that. But watch saying things quickly or too quick. Anybody here like Peter that puts foot in mouth? Yes. And that's what they're talking about. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits towards me? What shall I give to the Lord? What possibly could I give to the Lord for all that he's done for me? You ever ask that question? Of course. You've sung some of those hymns and songs. Here he says, I'll take up the cup of salvation and call upon the name of the Lord. And that sort of hints at what Jesus was doing after he, or before he sang these songs. In the New Testament, he was instituting the Lord's Supper. And what is it that Jesus was doing? Not at the Lord's Supper, but in the garden. You know, he was drinking down the cup of wrath so that we don't have to. And he said in the upper room, you'll take a cup and drink it. And remember that it's his blood shed for you. The cup of salvation. And you'll call upon the name of the Lord. And apparently David had said some things. Like, God, get me out of this place and I'll do something, something, something. Might even pay money or tithe. I don't know, because watch this. 
I will pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. You know, it's okay. Lord just says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. But there's other places in the Bible where vows are made. You don't have to make a vow. But if you do, (laughs) David knew to follow through on it. I'll pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people. They'll keep me accountable. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And you believe that one. Precious is the, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Now think about it. He was asking the Lord to get him out of trouble. And yet he knew like Paul, sort of, not sort of, I think he did. He knew like Paul to be here and to do these things that you called me to, Lord. Yes, save me and I'll keep doing those things. But if I go to be with you, Lord, you'll welcome me. And it's precious. You know, death isn't something where people are going away. Death is a great appointment with our Savior. And we talked about this last week in our Sunday sermon. If you want to have real peace and strength in life, let it sink in by the power of the Holy Spirit, the reality of what's going to happen to you when you leave this life, unless the Lord comes back first. And that is, you're going to be in the presence of the Lord. So that the death... Or that death for the Christian, it's lost all of its sting. So that you don't have to fear it, and I don't have to fear it, and we can die well. And in the middle, or in the process of that, you'll be a great and amazing witness to the people who will watch and look on as you, like Stephen, peacefully, it says, go to sleep. Now, it's not talking about sleep, it's talking about death. But to be dead is to be with the Lord in the presence of all his saints. And it is precious to the Lord when you arrive. Oh, my. Oh, Lord, truly I'm your servant. I'm your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I'm going to offer, I will offer you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. There's another one. I will take up the cup of salvation. I will walk before the Lord up at nine. I will pay my vows. And now I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. I will, you must have been really in, (laughs) into clearing his conscience here, David, because he says again, I'll pay my vows to the Lord now in the presence of all his people in the courts of the Lord's house in the midst of you, O Jerusalem. I just want you to see that God's love for you, even in death, sends us out into holy action. I will call upon Him. I will walk before the Lord. I will take up the cup of salvation. I will pay my vows. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I don't think that's a conjured up thing. I think it's in response to God's love. He goes on in Psalm 117. And at first glance, you might say, well, okay, what's the big deal? (laughs) Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. That's one word for praise. It's Hallel. You know that word. 
It's to shine or to make big. It's like a spotlight. Put the spotlight on the Lord. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. And then there's this strange word or different word for praise. And that's like Shabbat. And that word sort of means what you would think of praise. To proclaim or to adore and to do it sort of loudly. So he says, make the Lord big or put the spotlight on the Lord, people. And don't hide it all the time. For His merciful kindness is great towards us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Now there's a couple things I want you to see. It's funny because Martin Luther in his commentary devoted 36 pages to the interpretation or the commentary of Psalm 117. (laughs) See, here's something you may have seen or you may not have seen, but circle it because I think it'll bless you. The previous Psalms mostly call on Israel to give praise to Yahweh. But here, non-Jews are called to praise God. Are you catching that? Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud Him, all you peoples. Now remember, this is the Old Testament. And the Jews, a lot of them, got to that place where they didn't look with a lot of sympathy or friendship or kindness to their Gentile neighbors. And they didn't want to do this, laud and praise the Lord, because he was going to share and include the Gentiles. Do you get it? And yet, here we see how big God's heart is. That God intended Israel to be a shining light to the world. And that the gospel was going to go out to all men and all nations. And I want you to remember, Jesus is singing this as he walks. Wow. This is actually quoted or, well, it is quoted. They're the first... Uh, verse in the 15th chapter of Romans by Paul. In the 15th chapter of Romans, Paul says this. I'm going to actually read um, verse 8. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the, gent- and that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy as it is written. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with His people. And again, here it comes, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud Him, all you peoples. And then he quotes uh, Isaiah. And in 13, he says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 117. And there's one other thing I want to point out. For His merciful kindness is great towards us. God demonstrates His love, what? Towards us. I think the towards us word or phrase 
is a picture of grace. Why? For years and years, I would read, God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners. And I would focus on everything else except for the phrase towards us. And I think it speaks of grace. That when you were spiritually ugly, gross, enemy, you were in another kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, God didn't go away from you or shy away because you didn't fit the same look or the same whatever. He sent his son to us, a gift, grace. And why am I pointing that out? For his merciful kindness is great towards us and the truth of the Lord endures forever. And I want you to see this, folks. He's the perfect blend, John chapter 1, Jesus is, of grace and truth. You remember that verse? And I want you to think about this and pray about this. If you're a person who's full of grace but no truth, that can be really wishy-washy. Hi, how you doing? Nice to see you. For 10 straight years and never share the gospel to a neighbor or somebody. That's wishy-washy. But truth without grace, it's brutal. If you're just killing people all the time, criticize, 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 criticize truth. You're not doing it the right way. You're not doing the right way. Do it my way. Do it my way. Do it my way. It's just brutal. But Jesus, man, grace and truth. Here's what's happening right now. There's some people here who are just grace mongers and they're feeling uncomfortable, but then there's also people here who are all heavy truth and they're feeling uncomfortable and the, and the result is good. Here's why. Not that you correct yourself, but that you would get to the, with the Lord and ask Him to fill you afresh. Because we saw with Stephen, you become who you worship. You grace people, us grace people. Oh, you can't forget the truth. But you truth people, you can't forget the love. And that's Psalm 117, and it's found perfectly in Jesus. Psalm 117. Okay, Psalm 18. He's still singing. These are some of the hymns, the psalms that he would sing. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. This phrase is used lots in the Psalms, isn't it? For his mercy endures forever. Let Israel now say his mercy endures forever. And don't just let Israel say it. Let the house of Aaron now say his mercy endures forever. And not just the house of Aaron. How about anybody? Those who fear the Lord say his mercy endures forever. As you read this, you go, wow, God's mercy can't be exhausted. Mercy, what's mercy? Withholding from us what we deserve. Write that down. Justice, getting what you deserve. Grace, getting what you don't deserve. Mercy, not getting what you do deserve. Amazing. And here, you can't exhaust God's mercy. I called on the Lord in distress, whoever this psalmist is. The Lord answered me and set me in a large, broad place. Broad means large. 
The Lord is on my side. He's for me. I won't fear. When you know the Lord is on your side, you have your fear alleviated. What can man do to me? Remember, we talked about this. This is right out of the sermon on Sunday. When man, of course, as much as it's up to you, the New Testament says, live in peace with all men. But don't make men your idols. You and I, we must please the Lord. What can man do to me? I mean, he could even kill me, but what physically, but what would that be? I would be with the Lord. The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire on those who hate me. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. A voice once again right here. This is true. I don't know about the number of verses, but listen to this. It's reported by people who count such things that there are 31,174 verses in the Bible. And if that's so, then these verses, verses 8 and 9, the 15,587th and the 15,588th are the core middle verses of the Bible. That position alone should be enough reason to give them prominence. So let's read it again. You just hit the heart of the Bible. Do you get that? And here's the heart of the Bible, right in the middle. Put this up on your refrigerator. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. Oh boy. I don't see that on Facebook much. Lord, help us to be people who could trust you more and more. Help us to be stripped of our confidence in men and princes, although we pray for them and love them and be kind with them and work with them. And, but Lord, help us to understand that it's better to trust in you. All nations, verse 10, surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They surround me. Or they surrounded me. Sorry, yes, they surrounded me, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They surrounded me like bees. Ooh, you ever been in a bee thing where they start stinging you? Maybe just one or two got after you, but how about if there were a whole bunch around you? And they were quenched like a fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord, I will destroy them. And there it is again, name of the Lord. You pushed me violently that I might fall, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and He has become my salvation. What is it that you sing? The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. What do people hear when they come to your house or our house? Do they hear rejoicing? Do they hear salvation? The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but live. Can you imagine Jesus singing that one? And declare the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely. 
but he has not given me over to death. Oh, praise the Lord. We should praise there because he chastens those he loves. We know we're his kids when we're chastened. You understand how different the perspective of the Christian is from the perspective of people who live according to the world? Nobody likes chastening. Go coach a basketball team now. See what it's like. Oh, Billy, could you please run over there? Oh, I'm sorry. You're a little winded. Let's take a break. Oh, you need four drinks in the last three minutes? Okay, let's do that. That's what we do with kids now. Or, and that's what kids expect, I guess. And that's what parents expect. And that's what families expect. And yet, you know, there's something about being exhorted and coached and chastened in the right way, not in a bad way, with love and discipline and training. And the Lord does that for us. It's a good word, chasing. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I'll go through them and I'll praise the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous shall enter. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. Here it is again. The stone which the builders rejected. It's so quoted so many times in the New Testament, I'm not going to give you them all. But you could look in Luke 20, 17 and 18, Acts 4, Matthew 21, Ephesians 2. Jesus is the stone which the builders rejected. It has become the chief cornerstone. It's everywhere. This is a messianic psalm, and Jesus sang it. This was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord or the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And you know my saying by now, if you've come here for very long, how could anybody in this room who's a born-again Christian or in our fellowship or in the body of Christ ever complain about a Monday morning? I just don't get it. This is the day that the Lord has made. How dare us put something on social media that complains about going to work when the Lord has given you the job. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. God help us for saying those things. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you uh, from the house of the Lord. And this is the thing that Jesus said in his triumphal entry. It sounds very familiar to you, doesn't it? God is the Lord and he has given us light. In 1 Peter 2.9, Peter remembered and said, we've been called or you've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the idol. What's that all about? Well, there were four corners on the altar, like horn-like things, and they would strap the sacrifice down to the altar so that it wouldn't fall off. And it reminds us, doesn't it, doesn't it of Romans 12. What is our reasonable sacrifice? Oh, it's our whole life. And it's not to be picked up again. We have decided to follow Jesus. Watch. And there's no turning back. And Psalm 118 closes, You're my God, and I'll praise you. You're my God, I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His mercy endures forever. Now i got to pull something on the sound people back there. Sound people, do we have 
the playlist that we can play right now. And here's what I want us to do again. Just because we got to these verses, we got to these verses and they talked about the cup of salvation. We put communion in the back and we do it again. We did it last Wednesday. We're going to do it again if that's okay. We're just going to play some music. And we're going to close now, but here in about five minutes, I'll just come back and pray. But as they play the music and you're doing business with the Lord, go back and if you're born again and you're spirit-filled and get communion and go and take it yourself quietly. And in about three to five minutes, I'll pray and we'll be done, okay? We're so grateful, thankful. Lord, you sang these songs. You said as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup to proclaim your death, recognize that your body was broken for us and your blood was shed for us. Lord, help us to never tire or make this obligatory or custom or tradition. But help us to have hearts of fresh gratitude and thanksgiving and blessing and honor for your doing. In Jesus' name, amen.